All right, well, uh, I hope that everyone's here, here is doing well. We're obviously um, in week four of a five-week series going through the five values of City West Church uh, and trying to start off the year strong insofar as uh, we are going to uh, 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 make sure that we have a strong foundation of the things that bind us, the things that drive us, uh, the values of who we are. Uh, and hopefully you hear these values and where they are in Scripture, and then you are able to uh, 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 grow in them and see how God uses you uh, as you strive through the power of the Spirit to embody these things. That being said, uh, before I go too deep into things, we're in Romans chapter 15 today. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 27. It's going to be on the screen. If you have it on your phone or you bring a physical Bible, then follow along. But this is what it says. It says, uh, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material things. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would just be blessed, or that you would bless us through the reading and teaching of your word. Give us understanding that ultimately leads us to live transformed lives uh, and, and help us to be salt and light here in the city. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, when I was a kid, there was a song that uh, they always used to sing. Um, yeah, there was a song that used to sing. is pretty simple. I actually don't even like the song, per se, but it was very catchy. Uh, I, I remember learning it in, uh, we sang it, I believe, at my kindergarten graduation. And there was like, uh, uh, two heads are better than one. When you want to have lots of fun, oh, two heads are better than, much better than one. And that was like, three heads are better than two. When there's a lot you've got to do, yes, three heads are better than, much better than two. And it just kept going, four heads are better than three. When you want something that rhymes with three and four, four heads are better than, much better than three. It just kept going through. And we're up there singing and doing our thing. And the whole point was that, like, you can accomplish a lot more when there's more people coming together. It would stand to reason that if uh, you have your resources over here and you take those resources and you pull them to get together with said person over here, then uh, what you're able to do is to uh, uh, do more things. Now, in principle, this very mentality is at the heart of, of what it means to be a Southern Baptist. And if you didn't realize that we're a Southern Baptist church, uh, then there you go. I mean, what it means to be a Southern Baptist is this. And as we talk about values, it's good for us to talk about this. The, the Southern Baptist Convention is a convention, not a denomination. What do we mean that we say that? In a denomination, there is a hierarchy of leadership uh, where, where authority is centralized and dictates down to uh, others in a governance structure how things should be. But what we believe in is the convention. That is to say that we are a convention, a collection of autonomous local churches from all around the country who come together in what is called the cooperative program. And what is the cooperative program? It's the money that all of the churches across America that are Southern Baptists pull together to fund missions, to uh, fund educational opportunities, 
and to have resources on the ground in order to respond to crises that happen both here, domestic, and around the world. And every year, Southern Baptists come together. They send what are called messengers at the annual meeting to come together and gather a report and see, what did all of our money pulled together do this year? And we'll collectively, as messengers uh, uh, from all the churches, vote on, do we think that we want to continue to fund these endeavors or not? It's come strictly voluntary. And so as a small church plant, we also give to the cooperative program. And for what it's worth, City West Church exists and the ministry that we do exists in large part because churches around the country and throughout our state give to the cooperative program and thus they give to our church and help fund the things that are going on. Now why do I go through all of that? Because at the heart of understanding how we have the impact that we want to have, like we talked about last, last week. How we have presence. How do we have a gospel-centered proclamation? Is today's le uh, uh, sermon on, on, on uh, gospel-centered partnership. That the heart of the Christian faith is churches coming together, local churches coming together to be effective at reaching the community and meeting needs that arise. That's ultimately what we do. We come together to meet needs. Now, in this particular passage, we're reading in the book of Romans, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, of which he wants to go visit them, but he begins to talk a little bit in, in, uh, in this story about, uh, about uh, 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 the need, that the, the, the donation that's being gathered amongst Gentile churches for the church in Jerusalem. Now, to give us just a little bit of context on what that means and where we are, um, in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30, there's an interesting thing. I actually have this verse for you to give you a little bit of context. In verse 27, it says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul, who is also named Paul. So what happens is that somewhere in the mid-40s A.D., somewhere around 4, A.D. 43, A.D. 44, Agabus prophesies at the church in Antioch. And for us to, we'll get into uh, just a little bit of geography here in a second, but he prophesies to, to, to the church in Antioch that there is going to be a big famine, and not just that there's going to be a massive famine, but that Jerusalem is going to struggle and be hit hard the most, that the area of Judea is going to struggle the most. Now we know from history that there was a great famine, Interestingly enough, it's not necessarily just one famine, but a series of famines that take place from the mid to late 40s all the way into uh, the, the 50s um, that leads to great suffering throughout the entire Roman Empire. Some of it is contributed that the Nile River rose exceedingly higher than it normally does, destroying crops. Uh, and thus not having to have food there. Uh, all throughout Roman provinces, there were issues with uh, low crop yields and things like that, which ultimately led to a massive famine. And as was prophesied in Acts chapter 11, the area of Judea was hit 
incredibly hard. Now, what we have here as we talk about all this, and I just want to set the stage so that uh, you can understand what Paul is saying here uh, in his letter to the church in Rome. But what we ultimately have in all of this is this reality that um, these Gentile churches, so non-Jewish churches, seeing that Jerusalem is going to be in need or begins to really struggle, begin to pull together resources. And it is essentially called the Great Donation, the Great Jerusalem Donation. Interestingly enough, that the donation is delivered eventually somewhere around A.D. 56-ish, no later than A.D. 57, uh, but somewhere between 54-ish to 57. So the, the famine begins in the late 40s. For several years, uh, there's a struggle. And Paul and Barnabas, in their missionary journeys, begin to travel from church to church and begin to take up a collection to send that collection to Jerusalem so that people might be able to, in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem would be able to, um, to have their needs met as they're going through an incredibly difficult time in their city, in their region, in their area. It's incredible for us to think about this, this idea of collaboration that the Corinthian churches do, or that the uh, Gentile churches do. Now, the two places that he names are Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, Achaia I'm just going to say Achaia because I, I, my Greek isn't amazing. Uh, the two places that he mentions in the book of Romans. Romans. Now, to put this in context, uh, the, both of these places are in what is modern-day Greece. Achaia is a specific province, but also was used um, throughout the New Testament to refer to all of Greece. Um, and, but uh, it's in the southern part of Greece. And then Macedonia is above that in the northern part. And then you have other places like Corinth and Thessalonica as you start moving your way up and around and things like that. But what ultimately we see is that uh, Paul and Barnabas are going to all of these churches and collecting a fund so that Jerusalem would not struggle. And in this, I think, as Paul talks about this briefly to the Roman church and why he's delayed in making his way to Rome, I think it's interesting for us to understand why partnership is so important. And so today, very briefly, three quick points. Uh, and I don't say that like I'm not really going to be brief today, uh, but three quick points. Last week was a little long. I think I preached for 40 minutes. Uh, that's not typical. I'm typically like 10 minutes shorter than that. But uh, sometimes you just got stuff to say. I had to get it off my chest. But uh, as we talk about gospel-centered partnership as a value that we have here, I want us to understand why we partner. So here we go. We partner with other believers because we are one body. We partner with other believers because we are one body. In Acts chapter 15, verse 24, that first verse that we read, it says this, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. And at 25, he says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints from Macedonia, Achaia, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. It's one body. He's going, he's going, he, he desires to go to Rome, 
And ultimately, he desires to do what he's doing because they are one body. It's three distinct churches, but one body. And look at what it says in 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. You have three distinct churches or areas, Achaia, Macedonia, and now the Jerusalem church. And yet these two over here are choosing to pull together resources to send it across the sea to a church way over here because they ultimately understand that they are one body. I remember back in high school, I saw the movie Drumline. And, uh, um, you know, Drumline, it's funny. I saw the movie Drumline and a story within a story. Drumline was the movie that got me in trouble when I was a little kid because it was the first time that I realized that I needed to watch movies from a very different lens than the way that I'd watched them before. I watched Drumline in high school and thought it was an amazing movie. And then I made the mistake as, like, in my first, like, month of being a youth pastor a couple years later to show Drumline on a movie night and it doesn't work the same in youth group. And it's like all the things that I basically, I, they, I call them youth minister uh, uh, glasses, but eventually they just became parent glasses. Like you watch things differently when you have little kids. And so it, I remember watching that movie in high school and did not remember that frat party thing um, uh, uh, scene. And then like I'm sitting there in youth group and they're at that frat party and uh, Nick Cannon's character starts dancing with, dancing with Megan Good's character in slow motion. Um, and next thing you know, I'm like, ooh, should we be watching this? And what made it worse is that right as it gets to that scene, my boss happened to check in to uh, the youth area and was like, uh, what's going on here? And if you could imagine just the most conservative, like God-fearing, older Christian lady, uh, just, and, she, and it was like, as it's happening, I turn and she's just standing in the back of the room and then we make eye contact and I'm like, uh, guys, let's turn this movie off. And I got in so much trouble. It was amazing. Now, I say all this to say, in the movie Drumline, beyond showing uh, uh, that kid to middle schoolers, which you shouldn't, uh, there's this whole thing that the band leader keeps saying in that movie. He says, one band, one sound. And they keep going back. One band, one sound. And, and everybody's like, one band, one sound. They keep saying it back and forth, one band, one sound, all throughout the entire time. Every time they're practicing, everybody, he says, one band, one sound. People go, one band, one sound. It's one band, one sound. Now, how does that make sense? To say one band, one sound doesn't mean that all the instruments are the same. The marching band is made up of tubas, trumpets, uh, uh, flutes, bass drums, snare drums, toms, all kinds of things, trombones. There are all these different instruments, and each one of those instruments makes a distinctly different sound. A saxophone doesn't sound like a trumpet, and a trumpet doesn't sound like a snare drum, and a snare drum doesn't sound like a bass drum, which doesn't sound like a hi-hat, and all those things. But yet, the goal was for all of these different pieces to come together and make one band, one sound. That if, 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 the, if the, uh, the, the, what's going to call it, the, the, the cymbal player clangs the cymbal in unison and in unity following the director when the trumpet plays their note, and somehow that comes together with big boys on the trombone, vroom, 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 and all that kind of stuff, and they all hit at the same time, and they all move in the same way, and they all do this thing, then it's one band creating one unified sound that is glorious to listen to. 
In the same way, we have three distinct churches, but it's one church. It's God's people. Jesus himself is the conductor, is the director, is the composer, is the everything. And we follow his lead. And although there are various churches looking different, although there are different churches with different gifts made of different sizes doing different things, when we all come together, we're able to do something greater than if we were on their own. I don't know if you've ever listened to like 50 trumpets on their own playing the same thing. It's powerful. But I mean, like, can we get some harmony? Can I listen to something different? You ever been in a store, in a music store, like Guitar Center, where somebody's like testing out like a cymbal and they just go clang, 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 and just trying to like, they just keep hitting the same thing? We all laughed at Will Ferrell when he's like, we need more cowbell. Clank, 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 clank. We don't just need to just hear that clanged over and over and over again. The interesting part of all of those things is that when those instruments are played in the greater context of the band as one sound, then music takes place. And in the same way, when we work together with other believers and we partner together for kingdom ministry, then we are able to achieve and do something greater than ourselves. That's, by the way, why we give to the cooperative program. We're not a big church, but when we give to the cooperative program, we do a big thing. Why are we willing to have Christmas Eve service with Sojourn Spring Branch? Because we believe that when we work together, we do greater things. Why do we work with friends of West Chase uh, throughout the last two years to be a part of food distributions and things like that? Because we believe that when we partner with our brothers and sisters in Christ at Grace Presbyterian and at First United Methodist West Chase and, uh, and Hope City and the various other churches that are a part of Friends of West Chase and the business, we believe that when we come together, while our church couldn't feed 200 families over the course of two hours, when we all come together, we can feed 200 families over the course of two hours. And so we believe in gospel-centered partnership, that the gospel informs as we walk in unity with other believers that we will have an impact for the kingdom. And so that's why we do that. We are one body. And it's not to say that there aren't things that are different between us and the Presbyterians around the corner or the non-denoms down the street. Or goodness gracious, even from one Baptist church to the next. But what we are, have a firm belief in is that when we come together with the gospel at the forefront of who we are, we will see the kingdom of God established in this city. And that's ultimately what we want. And so this Jerusalem church is about to receive from these Gentile churches, not because any one of these Gentile churches had an incredible amount of money, but because when they pulled their resources together, they were able to be an incredible blessing. So we partner with other believers because we are one body. We partner with other believers because there is joy in collaboration, because there's joy in collaboration. Back in 26, it says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased 
to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased. They took joy. They were excited. They were anxious. They were eager. They were looking forward to the opportunity of, of being able to give to the church in Jerusalem because there's joy in giving. That's where that saying comes. It's better to give than to receive. And anybody who's ever done anything for anybody will recognize that there's far more joy in giving than in receiving. And that's not to say that there isn't joy in receiving. There is joy. But it's better to give and to be a part of that. It was a joy for these churches to have an impact in the body of Christ. It's interesting, millennials, of which most of us in the room are a part of that generation, one of the things that marks millennials as being who they are is the desire to make an a difference and an impact. And so, you know, leave it to millennials to be like, man, we need poor people around the world to have shoes. So if you buy this pair of Toms, we'll send a pair of Toms to somebody around the world. It's like, man, we don't just want to buy coffee. We want coffee that's going to somehow make an impact around the world. You got coffee shops in Houston because uh, we want to fight human trafficking. So if you, if you buy a cup of coffee here at, the, at this coffee shop, then it helps you fight trafficking around the world. And everywhere that you go, you see that our generation is marked by the desire to have an impact. The crazy part is, is that the impact that people need is to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while it's great, while it's great to, uh, to feed people, great to do all those things, what we ultimately desire is to see people impacted in their lives by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I remember uh, most of us, uh, a lot of us lived in Houston during Hurricane Harvey. Uh, uh, at the time, I was living in the Sharpstown area on the campus of Houston Baptist University, um, which, if you don't know much about Houston, like 50 years ago, that was like rice fields. And so, uh, typically in southwest Houston, every time there's a sprinkle, uh, they can pack in as much dirt and concrete as they want to to try to fill that in. But if you live in that part of town, uh, if somebody so much as spills a cup of water, the entire area just gets flooded. Like, yep, that is that used to be rice fields, y'all. Uh, that's what that is. And so I remember being on the campus of Houston Baptist University, and HBU turned into an island. Uh, you couldn't get in. You couldn't get out. I remember on the front end uh, uh, that night, that Saturday, Saturday night, as people were watching the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight and, uh, you know, the city was being bombarded, uh, I remember a couple of us walked to the front of Houston Baptist University to go look at how flooded the campus was um, uh, over on the Fondren side. Fondren just goes down like nobody's business. Uh, and so I remember we, as we were making it across the quad, which if you don't know the layout of HBO, it doesn't matter, but just know that the water had pushed in flooding uh, like halfway across the campus. So I'm walking across the, the quad and it's like, uh, uh, the water's super deep up to ankles and things like that. We make our way to the main entrance of HBU. I thought about uh, putting a sign up, uh, but in the long stretch of HBU, there's a stop sign right in the middle. And uh, a buddy of ours, McNabb, was, uh, was standing next to this stop sign. And if you look at the water, the water is like up to his knees as he's standing. And it only got deeper the further to, to Fondren that you get. Now, we chose not to go any further, not because we were worried about flooding, although really we should have been worried about the sewage water at that point, but we weren't really thinking about that. 
but mainly because off in the distance towards Fondren, there was a massive sound of something slushing in the water. Uh, and if you know anything about Houston and in that particular area, it is routine when massive floods like that happen to have giant snakes or alligators end up on campus because of the bayous overflowing and pushing. We're like, mm, maybe we should get out of here. There's something up there. It's probably hungry and confused. I don't need to be in it. And so we, we trudged, trudged all the way back to the other side of town. Now, wh why do I say all this? The city is decimated. The city is completely flooded. Over here where we are, the entire beltway was, uh, that's right here was completely filled with water all the way up to the, to the level uh, that we are on the ground level. 20 feet of water flooding the freeway. It was absolutely insane to see all of this. And the city begins to uh, uh, try to recover. And what did you see take place? The church that I was serving at was just like any other. When this water finally receded enough to get around, and by that Thursday when the rainwaters had stopped, I was overseeing missions at New Hope Church, and we had a staff-wide meeting of all four campuses. Uh, and so we had 150, 200 staff people sitting, and we began to lay out the plan that we have to go out to people's homes and help them rebuild. And sure enough, I'm not gonna lie to you guys. Uh, I lived in an apartment complex my whole life. The first time I mowed a lawn was on a mission trip um, in college. Uh, the first time that I had my own lawn to, to mow was when we started renting a house like three years ago. Uh, and so I've got no experience in most of those things. I mean, I, I do well with a drill and a hammer uh, because of YouTube, but I, I honestly don't have much knowledge on how to muck out a home. But this crazy thing happened. If I had done things by myself, we couldn't have, I couldn't have done anything. But what ended up happening is that people started coming together. Maybe some of you guys were part of these teams. And you started going out to people's homes. And you started gutting them. You started cutting out sheetrock up to, you know, whatever level, depending on how, many, how high the water was up in the house. You started ripping up floors. You started doing all these things. And the crazy part that became true across the board is that no matter who you were, nobody, when they went out to people's homes to do stuff, was complaining. Nobody was upset. And you'd be in a neighborhood where people's lives were completely decimated, and yet there was joy in the people going to serve. And that joy started being imparted to the people whose lives had been turned upside down by a flood. And the reality is, is that there's joy in collaboration. There's joy in working together. It's one thing for you to see a big task that needs to be done and for you to do it by yourself. It's another thing, and we all know this, it's a lot more fun when other people are there with you. There is joy in collaboration. There's joy in coming together. And so one of the reasons why we put collaboration, partnership, as a value of emphasis at City West is because we recognize that when we come together, there is joy. In, a, in next month, wait, not next month, in a month and a half over spring break, 
when Christians, uh, believers from Baptist Temple in McAllen come here for spring break and work with us to love this community, we expect that it will be fun. It's enjoyable for us to partner together. So, we partner with other believers because we are one body. We partner with other believers because there's joy and collaboration. And lastly, we partner with other believers because we are interconnected. Because we're interconnected. In verse 27, it's very interesting what Paul begins to remind everybody. He says, For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. We have something very interesting here. Paul essentially is making this point. I can summarize a lot of theology uh, into this. The Gentile church exists because God chose to extend and, 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 and bring his blessings. God chose to bless people that had been cut off and on the outside. See, there used to be this belief that Jesus was only for Jews, his people. But instead, what we found out is that it was always God's plan to bring other people in, to have other people be a part, to have other people join in. And all of these people are the byproduct. And I need you to understand this. Literally, Gentiles, which is most of us, unless you've got Jewish roots, are a part of the body of Christ because the original church that was began at Pentecost literally lost their lives. The first martyr was Stephen. And there was a great persecution that went out. And Paul himself, at that time, who wasn't a believer, was going house by house, rounding up Christians, throwing them in jail, and ultimately having them executed. But what we saw was that as the, Jews, the, the Christians in Jerusalem were scattered in that great persecution, they began to take the gospel everywhere that they went. And eventually, two Jews, Paul and Barnabas, at the church in Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, would be called to go out and to share the gospel with those people who had been considered to be on the outside. And so he's basically saying, these guys know that the only reason why they're here is because the church in Jerusalem gave of their lives, of their time, some of their best in order to go out around the world and share the name of Jesus. And so it's only right that people who are where they are because somebody else gave would also give back. And the part that's crazy about this, and I need you to understand this, is that even though the church in Jerusalem at times was filled with people who weren't so sure of whether or not they should even be allowed in in the first place, it didn't even matter to them. Because partnership isn't just about blessing people that bless you. Partnership is understanding that we are interconnected. That we exist because somebody else gave. 
And because we're on that foundation of somebody else's giving, then we're compelled to work together and to give. I'll close by saying this. A lot of you guys know that my family is from Haiti. Um, and uh, we moved here in the late 70s, my mom and my dad, although they met here in the States. Uh, they were both from Haiti and moved here um, in the late 70s. Uh, what uh, some of you guys know, but not everybody realizes, is that my grandma uh, was the first Christian in our family. Um, our family was uh, steeped in voodoo, which is uh, devil worship. My great-grandfather and my grandma's dad was uh, a voodoo priest. Um, and uh, her conversion from voodoo into Christianity existed because ultimately somebody decided to travel to Haiti like, goodness gracious, it gets so weird to kind of put these things in, into years because my grandma died, you know, 15 years ago or so. Um, and she was, uh, she was about to be 93, so she was like 92. And she became a believer some 70 years before that. Um, so literally, man, it's kind of crazy. Like, we're getting close to like the 100-year mark on uh, when she became a believer. But some hundred years ago, I want you to think about this. Some hundred years ago, somebody was compelled and said that the people of Haiti need to hear the gospel. And so we're going to send some people over there, missionaries, to share the gospel. My grandma didn't just become the first Christian in our family. She became the first Christian in her city. And her and my grandfather, uh, who came to Christ at the same time as they were getting married, began to do the gospel work, establishing churches. My grandma, it was funny, when she, she lived in the States, uh, she moved to the States like a week after I was born in the mid-80s. Uh, and she was like a church mother to every Haitian church here in Houston. Uh, and it was crazy. Like, and by the way, it made my church life kind of frustrating as a kid. Because you think that your church has programs when you're just a member of one church? What do you do when your grandma's a member of all the churches? Why the, why, why the, why the Seventh-day Adventists got to come to my house? Why the Baptists got to come to my house? So the Baptists will be there on Monday. The Pentecostals will be there on Tuesday. The AG will be there on Wednesday. The Adventists will be there on Saturday because, you know, that's their thing. I mean, everybody just kept coming to my house. There was, I was like, we had church on Sunday morning. Then we go to somebody's house and eat. Then we have church at night. And then I might get Monday off. Then it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And Friday, they would for sure go in because now it's the weekend. It doesn't matter when this thing ends. Well, how do I have to have prayer seven days a week at my house? I'm just a kid. I'm like six years old. Like, I just want to play. It's like my house. I want to play. But I remember this like... Like my, my grandma, she was a, a church mother, and when she passed away, I remember it, that Tuesday, she died on a Sunday uh, afternoon, and that Tuesday, pastors from all the Haitian churches in Houston started coming to the house to pay respects, and sure enough, the Pentecostal pastor came in and said, your grandma. The AG pastor was like, your grandma. The Baptist pastor was like, your grandma. The non-denom pastor was like, your grandma. Everybody was like, your grandma. Now, here's the thing is that now I'm sitting here today as a minister of the gospel, and I've worked in churches all around the city the last 17 years. I've worked in bite-sized candy churches with 50 people. I've worked in churches where there have been 14,000 people on a weekend there. Uh, I've done all kinds of things, but the crazy part about it is that the only reason why I'm doing what I've been doing, sharing the gospel now for 17 years, is because 100 years ago, somebody collaborated and partnered in the gospel and sent somebody to Haiti to share the gospel with Alta Grace Floridor so that she would become a believer and help establish churches so that today we'd be sitting in city center doing what we're doing today. 
We're interconnected. We partner because we're interconnected. And every last one of you, if you start to think about your salvation, think about the blessings that you've received, start to go through the domino effect of how did I get to where I am? Who chose to partner and be selfless and give and put down the lines and barriers of hostility to be a blessing? You'll find that you're here because people collaborated. We don't keep to ourselves. We're not territorial at City West. We don't have an ego about the things that we do because we recognize that our existence is because other people have given. And so we will also put down those barriers and give as well. I'll say this, I'll close with this. This is why we partner. I get the pleasure of meeting with other pastors around the city and in our area. And I've told you this before, there is a, there is a group of pastors in West Houston from large established churches with thousands of people to bite-sized candy church plants like City West or newer church plants like Sojourn Spring Branch. And when we gather together and have lunch and pray, this is what we say. We're not even all of the same denomination. In fact, there's like four different denominations uh, minimum represented between the eight or so pastors and growing that are having conversations. It's like we minister to the same area. And we are all committed to the gospel. So how can we work together to make sure that West Houston hears the truth of Christ? And we reach people from Spring Branch all the way out past Highway 6 into Katy and Richmond at all of our churches. And it would be really easy for us to overlap. And I'm not going to lie to you, at least three, four of the churches, all of us, there's like a one and a half to two mile distance from one of us to the next. At least one of them is literally just on the other side of the freeway for us, like catty-cornered across I-10 in the Beltway. We know Sojourn Spring Ranch is literally off Gessner, two miles north of us. And yet, this is what we recognize. We are better when we are together. And God has uniquely called us to reach different people, even though we're in the same area. And Spring Branch ISD isn't my territory or a Walnut or HISD somebody else's territory. No, this is God's territory. This is God's world. And so we're going to work together. Maybe Baptists and Presbyterians get upset about infant baptism, but we're going to put those hostilities down so that we can work together to share the gospel. Maybe Methodists and Baptists don't always get along, but we're going to work together so that we can do things for the sake of the gospel. And that's what partnership is all about. But it ultimately begins with encountering Jesus Christ. Because when you encounter Jesus Christ and you understand what he's done for you, then you recognize that nothing here is yours and you're only here but by the grace of God. And that's what it's ultimately all about here today. So let's pray. Stand with me and let's pray.